Okay, continuation, chapter four. <clears throat> well, we got started. Uh, we're in the section in the book. Get the log out of your eye. And uh, this section here, uh, this, this chapter is referring, is, is uh, titled, Is This Really Worth Fighting For? Is This Really Worth Fighting For? And uh, we didn't get real far uh, last last session, and that's that's fine. Uh, we talked some about uh, uh, <clears throat> starting out with, of course, uh, uh, Matthew seven thirty five to kind of anchor us with uh, what the focus is. Why do you look at the speck uh, that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or do you, or, or how can you say uh, to your brother? Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother, brother's eye. And we talked about that uh, last, last uh, lesson, and we talked about the idea of, uh, <coughs> there of defining issues when we have conflict, and I don't know how, how many of you t- kept notes or did the homework or got the homework. I didn't have homework for Wednesday night, but uh, uh, we, we chatted some about, you know, there was a, a, a noble intention uh, hidden behind this, this scripture. Uh, and, and to be helpful, uh, uh, I want to help you. You know, I want to see, I, but, but what we have a tendency to do is see our own problems in other people and and, and want to help with that, and if we're struggling with that, kind of kind of causes a conflict in being effective at doing that, doesn't it? So the motivation can be either uh, helpful or it, it can be not so helpful. You know, moving uh, moving back into our own hearts and looking at that. Uh, <coughs> the uh, they talked, we talked a little bit about defining issues. And uh, you remember the, the issues that we talked about? There was a couple different kinds of issues. Anybody say them? Material and personal. Material and personal issues. And uh, the, uh, we, ch- we chatted about that quite a, quite a while and uh, spent some time on that. I don't think we ever agreed on which one we're supposed to fix first. And I don't see the Jalberts, but... And I, I didn't mark it in my book, but, but there is a sentence in there that says, do the personal one work first. And so, but let's do them. <laughs> let's just do them and not worry about it. Um, the, the idea in the book was saying if you, if you can get the, the physical contact or the, the uh, personal trouble taken care of, then it'll pave the way for an easier uh, material. Uh, some of some of us thought differently, but uh, we don't have to agree with him, you know. But we ha- we have to agree with him that we need to deal with uh, conflict in our lives. That's for sure. Um, <clears throat> get my notes over here where I want them. So, any any uh, thoughts or comments that you want to bring up before? Uh, before we go any further, uh, and we're going to start on page 82, overlooking minor offenses. I hope somebody will help me. John, maybe I ask you to watch the clock uh, about 25 after or so. I'll start working up to 
we're going we're gonna to play a video tonight, and it's going to be a little over 20 minutes. So I'll try to put that right at the, right, right at the last of the class, and then maybe we can just review it briefly. We're going we're gonna to talk about it some beforehand and cover a little bit of the material, uh, if I can get to it. And, uh, and then we'll play the video, and uh, I think uh, he does a really nice job wrapping, wrapping it up, that's for sure. Uh, and, and, and conveying his, uh, his thoughts. Um, so, the, uh, let me find my mouse, which is not out yet. So look, look there on page 82, turn your, bot, your, your books over there and take a look at it, overlooking minor offenses. So, <clears throat> Now, is this going to work? Technology has not been good to me today. Yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah, that, yeah. that'll make them an answer. Yeah. Let's see if, no, I didn't. Oh, it helped me. Ah, that, that wonderful little sound, you know. It connected. My screen's acting a little silly here. See, we're just too dependent on technology. This is not a touch screen. There we go. <coughs> so we had some scriptures here uh, to read real quickly. Uh, talking about overlooking minor offenses. Uh, Proverbs 19.11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. The beginning of strife. Is, the letting, is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. And I, I, it almost sounds like having your finger in the dike, doesn't it? You know, when water starts flowing in an earthen dam, it starts rinsing out the, the, the opening, and before you know it, it's, it's a breach. I think that's what they're referring to. First uh, Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. <clears throat> Another one, Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, be patient, or with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And lastly, Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So also should you. <clears throat> this, this section on, I don't know if you guys have highlighted uh, places in here. Uh, uh, I, I really thought this little section right here below these scriptures on page 82 was, had some good things in it. Uh, what did, did you have anything highlighted you wanted to call a wow or any, anything? Anything you jumped off the page at you? My wow is in 83. Can I show that? In a, in a minute. Oh, the second paragraph. <laughs> she didn't care, did she? <laughs> um, go, go ahead. It all flows together. Okay. Read them. I I don't, they can be out of order. Overlooking is not a passive process. Uh -huh. That's easy. I can overlook something and just go about my day. Uh, it says to truly overlook an offense means to deliberately decide not to talk about it. Oh, Brenda, that hits home. Dwell on it or to let it grow into a pent-up bitterness. And I know we're all guilty of that. 
How true? Isn't that true? It certainly is. That yeah, that whole section in there is rich. He calls it a, a form of denial that can easily lead to brooding and all kinds of problems. And uh, <clears throat> uh, I had I had one. Did, okay, Tony, did you yeah, have one? Just the, the very last paragraph of this section. Yeah. Uh, he says if it's too serious to overlook or if it can be used to, as a part of a pattern in the uh, other person's life, then you will need to go and talk to that other person about it. And I thought that's just a really good general rule of like, you know, that kind of summarizes everything he's got in this entire section of just like, try to let things go, but seriously you gotta let them go, not just pretend to let them go, but then, but if, if internally it's not something you can just continue to do that with, you, you actually gotta do something, like you do need to talk to this person, you can't leave that just sit and simmer. Certainly, Ab- absolutely. Yeah, that was one of my highlights too. Anybody else? You might saw something? I had one on page 82 right at the bottom. I thought it was uh, good and good thinking for us here. Since God does not deal harshly with us when we sin, we should not be willing to treat others in a similar fashion. We should, I'm sorry, be willing to treat others in a similar fashion. This does not mean that we must overlook all sins, but it does require that we ask God to help us discern and overlook minor wrongs. I thought that was that was uh, focused on God in 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 what we do here, and being over overlook overlook minor minor uh, offenses. And overlook is one of the things on our slippery slope, isn't it? And it's actually up in the area where we have footing. If you think about it, I don't have the slide up. I actually think I have a slide on here of that, but uh, it's, you're not slipping if you're overlooking. All right? That's, that's, that's good solid ground up, up there, Tony. I know that this is dealing with um, things that whether I will consider them a minor offense or not, as in how I personally need to deal with that if it's not a minor offense or I need, it may, I need to start trying to consider it as a minor offense. But I thought the thing that maybe he doesn't address here, and I don't know if he does later in the book, but just of taking the seriousness with which someone else, that I might, let me just say this is a minor thing, it's not a big deal. But if there's conflict with an individual, the seriousness with they view it. And so I, I tend to be a little bit more dismissive of things that don't rise to my higher. Yes. And so like, I've got to combat that too of like, well, I've already, I've already really been doing something. I'm not, I'm not going to think about this anymore. But you have, and I need to be treated that way. And that's, I think it's difficult for me of just, I didn't want to talk about this anymore because it's not a big deal. But yeah. you're making it a big deal. So yeah. you just need to get over it. And it's like, but that's not okay for me to treat that person that way or think about that person that way. Yeah. It's a big deal to them. I do I do this with people at work, but I also do it with my kids. And I keep remembering how God has treated us that will say to our kids even of, it's just not a big deal what you're complaining about. But it is a big deal to them. And yeah. Katrina talks about legitimizing how they feel about the thing. Right. You know, it may in the grand scheme not be a big deal. And God may look at us and go, this thing you're complaining about to me is not a big deal. But he's willing to listen willing to hear uh, attentively as if it's serious to him too and Absolutely. I don't yeah. I know that I don't always do that but. yeah 
certainly we're all going to measure and score things di differently, and uh, we have to be considerate of each other in those and think think about the other person too. So just uh, in the, all things. The final thing with that is just Jesus says to uh, if you know that your brother has something against you, to go to him first and leave your offering. That it's not well. If you've got something against your brother and you've been marrying this and trying to treat it like a minor offense, but it's not a minor offense. You need to go to that person. That, that's that's good. That's what we're talking about right now. But he's saying if you know that your your brother has something that isn't a minor issue to him, the whole point of bringing this up is just that that's that's what he's telling us too. Is we need to go to that person, not just well. I'll wait for them to bring it up, but just being cognizant of. <coughs> How they feel about this, yeah. and that if I know that it is serious to them, even though they've not said anything to me, and well, if it's serious to them, they need to come talk to me. Well, no, I need to actually go and talk to them. That's right. I think the, the key thing you're, you've said a lot in that, as you were making that comparison for us to think about, Tony, was the word come talk, come talk, come talk. You know, that, that, go talk, that's a, go and go talk. It's Idealistically, you know, when there's conflict, what do we have a tendency to do? We drift apart, but God would have us run together. That's what He wants us to do. And when we do that, and we meet face to face, and we we show concern and love for each other, uh, uh, big conflicts, little conflicts, they they end up kind of coming together, and you work those out, and and uh, everyone everyone is satisfied. God is glorified, and peace is peace is secured. And that's what we're trying to be as peacemakers. That's excellent. Uh, thank you, Tom, uh, Tony. It's helpful. We have a tendency, of, it's a little one-sided here, thinking about me overlooking your issues. And, and, yeah. and here, there's, there's someone else involved in this, you know, uh, that you need to maybe communicate with, you need to, Brad. Um, and a hymn that has been one of my favorites recently, uh, one of the lines is, Abba Father, Abba Father. By your grace, I lift each prayer, knowing you will bend and listen to our smallest joy or care. Our smallest joy. Yeah. That's very good. Very good. I like that. Other thoughts? Just kind of along with that, I, as your kids get a little older and they start asking a lot of questions, you're very excited initially, and then it can, <laughs> it can get you know, a little overwhelmed. And you want to satisfy that curiosity. But I remember when someone, well, it was the, uh, about the lady that would go to the judge and, and continue to, to bug the judge oh, yeah. for justice. And it made me realize that I could not exhaust God's desire to hear from me. Like, I would run out far long, far before um, he would ever get tired of hearing me. Right. That kind of just changed my perspective on prayer. Like, it's I've prayed, yeah. Enough, so. yeah, yeah. Have you ever been in the rut of I've already asked for that? You know, I, I have. You know, I, well, I asked God about that. You know, maybe God wants us. How serious are you about that, Bob? You know, and if you're, if if it's really important to you, why aren't you talking to me about it every day? You, you know, and uh, so I, I think there's some teaching along those lines for us to make sure, and maybe also. Maybe it was really important to me to that day, and as the days go by, it becomes less important to me to the world points. You know, I'm saying, 
never mind God, I don't need that. <laughs> because we do, we do change that, that way and we shift. And I think prayer helps teach us in that too. So, but that, that's, that's great too. Great analogy. Tony, did you? Okay, all right. Um, had, the, had a question in the homework uh, that said, what does it mean to overlook minor expense, uh, offenses? I don't know that that's well worded. It's on page 83. <coughs> Excuse me. It's probably a better question would have been, um, what should we look for when, when we're uh, overlooking minor offenses or what should we be cautious of? When we're looking, or I, some, something happens that is an offense, and I'm looking at it, and I say, "Okay, how do I weigh that? How do I look at that? Is that something I should overlook? Uh, is does it glorify God? Uh, are, are there any parameters associated with that? And there are a couple in the book. Does anybody remember what they were when he talks about it? He said he, he defined two different things in the book. <coughs> One of, one of them, one of them was that there's no evidence of wall, there's no wall building evident. In other words, where people have separated and the offense has separated them and kept them apart, not coming together anymore, and, and the wall is going up. Uh, maybe that's not such a minor overlook uh, offense. That's something that's going to take more effort, more work. Uh, if the wall is going up, then that's not something you overlook because that's something that needs to be fixed, doesn't it? That wall needs to be torn down. You need to come back together again. So, so there's no abiding change in your heart toward another person. That's, that's what's the, maybe the, the marker. If you, I, this is not something I can overlook because if I don't want to do something, I can just say, oh, that's a minor offense. Uh, that's, I just let that go because I don't want to be, I don't want to go through it. I don't want to go have the, the maybe the, the controversy or, I, or I'm not, uh, I'm not comfortable to going and talk to that person or I, I feel guilty and I don't feel like I have a good defense. Uh, so we just say, nah, I overlooked it. I didn't deal with it, but a, but a wall is built and you can't get back to them. You know, so that's, that's one warning. And there was, there was another one um, that I thought was important, is the offense should not do harm to God's name. He had, had it, 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 if, it, if it is an issue of uh, uh, sullying God's reputation, then we, we need to not overlook that. We need to go deal with that and make that right. So I thought those were interesting. I, I had, hadn't... Uh, thought about it for a long time. You just can't overlook something that sullies the Lord's name. You know, we have to, we have to be uh, defensive uh, in that, but at the same time loving. And you know, when we're doing these things, and we uh, need to do, do that on circumstances like this, that uh, we would uh, uh, go to someone to help reestablish that. Uh, Tim? Yeah, I think those are really important to think about. I know... Um, <coughs> for, my, for myself, I am more of a conflict avoider, people pleaser. I try to, you know, uh, avoid conflict when I can. I'm kind of an introvert in a lot of parts of my life. And, um, and I think, you know, maybe it's better for me to overlook this because I don't want to uh, cause any conflict or I don't want to make anybody upset or something like that. But then 
I look back on different decisions in my life, and I, you know, I think if I would have brought that up sooner, maybe it wouldn't have caused such a big problem. So I think it's really important to uh, to consider: Do I really want to overlook this? I, for me, that's it's not a problem not to overlook something in my in my. I don't know how many people are like like me, but I'd rather overlook it. So. Understood. And yeah, we just have to weigh those out and and uh, come to a conclusion, pray about it, and 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 understand what to do. Come to a conclusion and do it, and and hope we've done what's right. But if we have the other person's best interest at heart, uh, and we're we're cultivating when we do that, we're cultivating a willingness to uh, uh, sacrifice. Put put. I just put myself aside. I don't. I don't have to have satisfaction in this. You know, I can let that go, and uh, that that's important for for all of us, and and healthy and good, <clears throat> and it's a peacemaking jewel for sure. Um, some reasons why we can't overlook uh, an offense. Um, some things in the. I'm going to move along because I can't believe how fast that clock has got down there already overly being overly sensitive uh, as to being able to overlook something I'm just thin skinned uh, uh, it could be with with one person and not another it can be any kind of combination or reason I've got a critical ear you know and I'm maybe judgmental quick to uh, assign motive and don't want to listen you know all these human maladies that we struggle with um, might be dwelling on the off- offenses of others. And that's, you know, say I overlooked that last time, but I ain't overlooking it this time. You know, uh, this that kind of thing, or we we overlooked it, but we kept it. He said, "Oh, let this one go this time." You know, put it in my pocket. You know, if you do that one more time, I'm pulling this one out. And there's two of them. You know, that kind of thing. Um, Stewing, replaying, not letting go, not forgiving and forgetting and, and moving on, that kind of thinking. Uh, these are And those are attitude problems, if you will, Tony. Yeah, I, I don't think this addresses the things he talks about in the next section about checking your attitude, uh, because he's talking about it in a different realm there. But back into this, of uh, Katrina and I played this game called Real Not Real. Uh, we got some uh, the Hunger Games book. It was the last one of the last chapters of that book. That uh, this couple that's married there at the end. He has he uh, brainwashed into thinking that this woman who he eventually married is like is, she was evil and things like that. And they have to play this game of real, not real. Like, okay, that that didn't actually happen. And like I have to play that too of like. Well, did they really say that? Did they really mean it that way? So it's not even just like, am I dealing with real offenses, real things, um, and how I deal with that? But then also, is it really the way that I think it is? Did they really, like, that's where sometimes I talk a lot of things that uh, minor issue because it's like, did they really mean it that way? Did they really say it that way? Sometimes i got to let a lot of things go just because I go through that filter and I'm like, and I guarantee that they actually said it that way. And, you know, what if they didn't mean it that way? Or, you know, what if they didn't intend to do that? And that's, yeah. I know that I, I, I wrestled with that one. Like a, a question or take on things, yeah. you know. Because you, you, I'm very selective in my hearing, 
because it's like, oh, you said the trigger word, and now like I've shut down, and yeah. so I can think about. You yeah. said the thing that now is that to rile me up, and then you're like, oh, that's yeah. not what I meant at all. Where do you, where do you get this from? Amen. Well, and you need to think about that. He says in that section, leading in the section of that. <coughs> these are attitude attitude problems. You know, we can, a lot of things we can stuff underneath of attitude, and uh, <coughs> the uh, this this uh, text that's up here is of course so very familiar with us from Philippians. <coughs> Excuse me, Philippians uh, four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, the thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Such such par- powerful verses, and uh, it goes on and says, "And the peace of God." That's this is the result of those first three lines up there. There's, then there's here's the result. It's this is these are the this is the think do feel text that we uh, uh, have learned and talked about and taught our children. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Uh, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if any anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the Lord uh, and the God of peace will be with you. Think, feel, do. Think, feel, receive. You know, changes the heart. We got to go. Ready to go? We got to start. Okay. Give me this. <coughs> so Ken, this is Ken Sandy, and he's going to uh, talk to us about attitudes. Let's keep out of your uh, presentation. Is that what I need to do? It's going to give me a little trouble here. second G of peacemaking. Get the log out of your own eye. You recall we've already looked at the concept of idolatry, how the desires that rule our hearts sometimes lead us into conflict. We've also looked at the seven A's of confession. Both of these principles are vitally important as we pursue the goal of taking responsibility for our contribution to a conflict. But there's a third principle that is very important to this second G, and that has to do with our attitude. Did you know that a gracious, gentle attitude can actually prevent most of the conflict in our lives? That's right. If we can learn when to overlook minor offenses and to forgive people who've irritated or offended us, we can prevent many of the conflicts in our lives. In other words, we simply need to learn how to ask ourselves, is this really worth fighting over? Let's move into this session and see how our attitude is an important part of being a peacemaker. Well, we've spent some time now looking at that first major principle of peacemaking, the first G, to glorify God. Let's move on now to the second major principle, the second G, which is to get the log out of your own eye. Basically saying, how can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to this conflict? One of the questions we need to ask ourselves there is, 
initially is, is this conflict even worth fighting over? Because you see, one of the key principles of peacemaking is that a gracious and gentle attitude can actually prevent most conflicts. So we don't even have to get into a big, long, drawn-out battle. What I've discovered as I've worked with many people in conflict is that there's basically two kinds of logs we can remove from our eyes. Jesus in, in Matthew 7 says we have to take the log out of our own eye before we can take the speck out of someone else's. And one of those logs is having a critical negative attitude that leads to unnecessary conflict. We make mountains out of molehills. We take offense needlessly. We just start something that didn't need to be started. The other kind of log we often need to get out of our own eye is we've actually had some sinful words and actions. Our hearts been filled with sin. We've spoken things. We've done things that are wrong. In this section, I want to look at that first log, the, the attitude log, and talk about how we can make sure that we're not needlessly going out of the conflict because of, of a wrong attitude. One of the things that uh, the Bible teaches that can prevent a lot of conflict is our need and responsibility to overlook minor offenses. Proverbs 19.11 would just about put my ministry out of business. A man's wisdom gives him patience as to his glory to overlook an offense. There's so many conflicts in life that we just overlook what someone else is saying. Someone else has done. Now, why would we overlook offenses? Number one, because it's a wonderful way to imitate our gracious God. There's so much that He overlooks and is patient. We see in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. And the Bible tells us we should be imitating God. So, Lord, make me compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Now, when should we overlook offenses? We'll look in a little bit more detail on this in a, in a later section. But the short answer is we overlook offenses if that, if that offense is not clearly and noticeably dishonoring God. If it's not dishonor or it's not hurting our relationship. And it's not hurting in a significant way either the offender or the people. It, it might have irritated or offended us. We might have been unhappy for a day or so. But after we calm down and think it through, it's not put a permanent wall between us and someone else. And it's not doing something we think is going to harm other people in a significant way. So those are questions we can ask. Well, again, we'll look at those in more detail. But another issue that helps us to decide, is this something I should overlook? Is this something I should pursue? Is this worth fighting over? is to do what I call an attitude checkup. It's to check our attitude, and if necessary, to change it. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, is a marvelous peacemaking passage. Uh, years ago, my pastor said it's a mini course on peacemaking. If you're in a conflict and you want to quickly work through uh, getting your attitude right, the proper perspective, even working through the conflict, there's five principles in the short passage that are worth studying. Keep in mind as you look at Philippians 4 that it actually is about conflict. In, in verses 2 through 3, Paul starts off by saying, I plead with you, Odie, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. He's saying, there's two ladies in your church who are having such a big fight. I've heard about it here in prison. And I'm saying, please, be reconciled. And he knows it's such a public thing. Everyone else knows about it too. So he writes about it in a, in a pastoral letter. Because of the principle he's going to teach that he wants these two women to apply, he said, and all of you can learn from this too. So even today, we can learn the same principles these two women needed to apply. The first principle of peacemaking, to get our, our attitude right, is he says, rejoice in the Lord always. A 
I'll say it again, rejoice. He says it twice because he knows our reaction is, rejoice in the Lord, what's that got to do with peacemaking? And yet he's saying, he's, it's so important to us, he says, I'll repeat it. You heard me, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because most conflicts begin and grow worse because we've taken our eyes off of God and we've got them fixed on something in this world, something else that we've got to have to be happy. And so instead of remembering God's grace, His mercy to us, all the promises and the hope we have in Christ, we sort of brush that aside, we get fixed on something in this world, and then we get wrapped up and consumed with it. And so Paul's saying, get your focus back where it needs to be. Be rejoicing God, worshiping God, praising God, glorifying God, trusting in Him, and it gives you a much more confident and liberated way of dealing with conflict. Now let me give you an exa example of how this works out in an actual dispute. There was these two men that were high school buddies, and one of them started a construction company and hired his other friend as a foreman. Uh, um, Don owned the company, I'm just giving random names. Uh, Don owned the company, we'll call his foreman Dave. And they worked together for quite some time, very successfully. But it turned out that Dave was sort of the more hard-driving, creative, pouring himself into work guy, and the owner, Don, was a little bit more laid back, had a more reasonable pace on things, but he was the one that was really making the benefit of all this hard work. His company prospered, he made a lot of money, he paid Dave a salary, but Dave began to feel like, hey, I'm pouring myself out, I'm working hard, putting in long hours, and I'm not getting the same benefit. And so this went on for a few years, and for a while they sort of lived in the escape zone. Remember the slippery slope, the escape, deny, cover up, and they just pretended like there wasn't a problem, they avoided talking to each other, especially the owner did. He just didn't want to deal with this conflict. But the pressure built and built and built, and finally they had this big, uh, shouting, confrontation, and uh, in, in anger, the owner fired the other man. And the other man was really angry. He felt, I put all this time into building this company and doing these things, and I don't have the money. And so he was threatening a lawsuit. He was demanding thousands of dollars to be compensated for his overtime, or he was going to bring this lawsuit. And we finally got the case into our ministry. They heard about Christian conciliation. They brought it in, and I was mediating with these two men. And one of the first things I did was I talked to them about rejoicing the Lord always. They both gave me the same look. What's that got to do? This is money, this is my job, this is my business. But we talked about who God is and what he's like and why he's worthy of worship. And it put this big conflict that was occupying all their attention into the proper perspective. It wasn't gonna end the world how this thing turned out. And they calmed down a little bit. Then we looked at the second principle where Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You know, sometimes we get in a conflict and we raise our voice, we get upset with somebody else, and we say, we can't help him. He really made me mad, or she really frustrates me, and that's just what she does to me. We, we justify our angry tone of voice and all these things by saying we just can't help it. Well, some of you have probably been in a situation, or maybe you've seen a situation where maybe a couple is having a conflict, their voices are raised, and they're talking angrily, and then suddenly the phone rings. Oh, hi, Alice. Oh, no, just talking to Bob. You know, we can get control of our voice that fast if someone else comes into the room, even through a telephone. We can control our voice. It's not a question of whether we can, it's whether we will. And what Paul, I think, is saying here, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. It's not a friend who's called you on the telephone. It's not a child who's walked in the kitchen. The Lord is right there with you. One of the conciliation techniques I use if I'm in a room and people get angry and frustrated with each other, sometimes without saying anything, I'll just get up, walk over, pick up a, an extra chair and slide it up to the table and then sit back down. I won't say anything. And people look at the chair, they look at each other, and they're just 
someone finally said, why'd you do that? I said, that's to remind us there's someone else in the room with us right now. He's heard all the angry, bitter words that you've spoken. In fact, beyond that, you've seen in your hearts, you've seen the bitterness, the resentment, and the hatred, which he calls murder. Brothers, let's, let's approach this with more gentleness. The Lord is near. And that's what I did with David and Don as I began to take a more gentle approach to each other. That brings us to the third um, step that Paul gives to us, is to replace anxiety with prayer. He says, be anxious about do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we're in conflict, we are so tempted to be anxious. Am I going to win? Will I be the one who's right? Will I get the money? Will I have my way? And you think, and we lay awake at night fretting over these things. And Paul, speaking as God's apostle, says, put aside that anxiety and replace it with prayer and thanksgiving and trust. Focus on the Lord. Talk to him about how good he is, how trustworthy. It's amazing you see in the Psalms a reflection of this concept. The Israelites are surrounded. They're about to be attacked. Things are going wrong. They start off in some of the Psalms talking about the problems and difficulties. But they say, oh God, who brought us out of Egypt, who parted the Red Sea, who wiped out Pharaoh's army. They start remembering, oh yeah, that's the God we serve. Why are we afraid of these guys after all the things God did here? So as we get back and focus on the Lord, get our attention on Him, it generally calms us down and helps us to proceed more effectively with that conflict. Brings us to the next principle that Paul teaches us. He says in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. He wants us to see things as they really are. You know, when we get in conflict, we have a tendency to get tunnel vision. We just, we take a whole relationship, a whole situation, we just start focusing in on just one or two aspects of it, the negative, critical, threatening things. We forget the big picture. And so Paul here is not, I don't think he's telling us, just put on rose-colored glasses, and just pretend like everything's okay. Paul was a realist. He faced reality. He dealt with sin and problems and struggles. He was willing to do that. I think what he's saying is, just get rid of the tunnel vision. See the whole picture. Yes, there's a problem. There's a conflict, we need to deal with it. But don't forget this other, bigger picture. And this is one of the most powerful peacemaking tools that I've found in the scripture. In terms of something I can do to help other people or myself resolve a conflict. And I saw this so powerfully. This was really the breakthrough con concept in this one particular dispute. These men, even after a couple of meetings, were still fairly self-righteous, caught up in their anger, vindicating themselves. So one night I gave them an appointment, or an assignment. I said, I want you to get home tonight, and I want you to write at the top of a piece of paper this verse from Philippians, whatever is true, <coughs> lovely, excellent, admirable. And I want you to come back tomorrow, having filled out at least one piece of paper describing everything in the other guy that is lovely, true, admirable. And the reaction, both of these guys are sort of rolling in the eyes, and boy, that, that won't take me long. You know, just, I mean, we don't think of those things when we're in a conflict with someone else. All we do is see what's wrong about them. So they went home, and I spent some, some time that night praying with Corlette, and we were just praying, God, please touch their hearts. The next day we came in, Saturday morning, sat down, and I could tell from their countenance, particularly the owner, 
how did something really significant happen. I said, Doug, what did you start off tonight? Did you do the assignment? He said, yeah, I did. He said, frankly, when I sat down last night, I really didn't think it would be of much value. I didn't think as much I could write, so I wrote down the verse. I thought for a moment, and I thought, well, he's a hard worker. And uh, he's a pretty good manager. He organized people pretty well. And then he, then Don just started going on and on. Things just started to flow. And then he began to reflect. He, he turned at this point away from me, and he started looking at Dave. He said, Dave, I remember that time we had that contract up in Yellowstone Park, and you and I took our motorcycles up that summer. Do you remember that? That's when you were just having your first baby. And your wife was back home, and you were missing her, and you wanted to be there. And, to be more often, I knew you were getting home sometimes and not as much as you wanted, and you were concerned about being a father. Remember that time we sat out on that road and we saw that moose with her calf down in the pond, and we started talking about what it meant to be a father? We shared dreams together, things we're afraid of, and challenges. And that's a day I'll never forget the friendship we had that day. And he went on to just begin describing all these wonderful, excellent things that were part of these men's history clear back in high school, that have been pushed aside in the midst of this conflict. It was so powerful to see the change in his attitude. And then finally, at the end of, of his thing, Don said, um, you know, as I did this exercise, I realized how much this has probably hurt you for me to fire you. And it was not only wrong for me to do, it was one of the stupidest things I've ever done, because I, there's no way I could find somebody who could work like you did. You're the best manager in the world. At that point, they started to cry. As it turned out, the thing that was hurting him the most was he'd never been fired in his life. To be fired <laughs> a job is a, is a very unsettling thing for somebody. It caused him to lose confidence in some other things. And he began to open up and share his feelings, things he never would have done in an adversarial setting. But because the attitude began to change in that room, they could start sharing with each other. It's just amazing how that transformed the rest of our discussion. We moved so quickly a resolution when both of them started confessing their sins, admitting what they've done wrong, and it changed the complexion of that conflict. You see, when we see things as they really are, we get the whole big picture. And we start to see in many cases that yes, this is a serious conflict. Now, in some cases, actually, we'll see that it's, the conflict is so small compared to the big picture, we just overlook it, and it's not worth fighting for. We forgive and move on. But in other cases, if it's too serious to overlook, we at least continue with a very different attitude. Now here's, here's a little trick that I've learned in, in counseling people in marriages that are falling apart. <coughs> Husband and wife have fallen out of love, they tell me, and they, in fact, often they say they never loved her in the first place. Their feelings are gone. If I can manage to get one of them to bring in the family photo album, and say, you know, as we talk about custody and child uh, support and visitation, I want to get to know a little bit about your family so I can guide you. So would you bring in the family photo album? I want to go through and get a little bit of understanding the dynamics of your family. That's part of what I want, but the real thing I want to do is this Philippians 4.8. What is good, true, noble, excellent, lovely, admirable. Tell me about this picture. What happened here? What was going on here? As they look at those pictures and remember that first baby, that first house, and that first this and this, and even the hard hardships and struggles they went through, all those memories that Satan has sort of pushed out of our mind, come back. And folks, that's, that's a concept we can use day to day in our lives, to so just periodically sit down with some photographs and those who mean a lot to us and have those memories triggered to strengthen these relationships. 
But there's another principle Paul gives us in Philippians. He tells us that we need to practice what we've learned. Verse 9, he says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. He's telling us that we don't want to just hear these things. You know, we can sit in church, we can go through a study, we can write out notes and fill in blanks and still walk away Over and over and over, God tells us we've got to practice what we've learned. And we've got to say, Lord, where do I need to do this today? Help me expose, bring to mind a relationship, a situation where I need to grow and I need to change. And I want you to pray that prayer. God will probably give you some homework. He'll give you an opportunity to put these things into practice. And I warn people about that in our seminars, and probably the quickest turnaround I've ever seen on that was I was doing a seminar in uh, Houston one time, and I gave that warning to people, and, and we did two sections of the seminar, about an hour of teaching, we took a break, and about how far we do a break, a young man came up to me with this funny look on his face, and he said, boy, Ken, you weren't ex exaggerating about God giving us homework. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I was standing in the lobby during the break, and we were all out there getting cookies and everything else, and, and some young guy walked in, looked around the lobby, went in the church office, and he walked back out and asked me what's going on. I said, we're having a peacemaker seminar, learning how to resolve conflict. And this guy's face lit up, he said, well, maybe you can help me. My wife has kicked me out of the house, and she won't let me back in to get my work clothes. If I don't get to work in a little while, I can lose my job. Man, it's really going to get bad. But she says, if I go and try to get my clothes, she's going to call the police. I don't know what to do. Would you call her and do something? <laughs> so this is a young man with 60 minutes of training, and God has given him his first assignment. And praise God, this young man who had to be this in his early 20s said, okay. And he prayed. He said, God, give me wisdom. Help me know what to say. Got the phone number. Called this young woman. And basically said, hi, my name is Stan. You don't know me, but I'm down at First Church, and uh, your husband's standing there. He's told me a little what's going on, and, and um, I'm concerned. You know, he, under, he, he needs to go to work, but if he doesn't have his clothes, he can get fired. That's not going to be good for you, your kids, or anything. So how about this? Could, could you put his clothes out on the front porch, and he'll come by and just get them. He won't come inside. He's promised me that. He'll get them and go to work, and then you guys can maybe talk this evening. If you want to come down to church, we've got some people here that can help. Isn't that amazing? Just with 60 minutes of training and a willing heart and willing to practice what he's learned, God used that young man as a peacemaker. And isn't that the vision we want to have for the church that people when they're in serious conflict would say, I better go down to the church because that's where I can find peace. That's how people approach us. <clears throat> There's another principle that's important to consider as we're trying to decide if something is worth fighting over, and that's to count the cost. We see in Matthew 5, 25 and 26, a passage on conflict and reconciliation, that Jesus says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and you may be thrown into prison. He's talking about here that we need to settle our disputes early. We shouldn't just let them go on and get bigger and bigger, because sometimes they take on a life of their own. And then we say, how did we ever get into this situation? It's really, it's really dreadful. And so what we need to do is say, what really is the cost? Long term, five years from now, when I look back, am I going to say, I'm sure glad I spent all that time on that issue? Was it really worth it? And very often, there are things that are worth the cost. There, there's a major issue. Someone's caught in sin. A relationship is being threatened. There's issues that we do need to spend time and talk to and do some hard work. But there's also many situations. If you want to get out and go, you can go ahead. 
and say, you know, it's not worth it. One time I was mediating a dispute between three attorneys who were dissolving the They were fighting over the assets and how much money was involved. And these guys were all like gladiators. They weren't going to lose. They were going to be tough. They were going to win. And uh, they were still, they'd been at this for now for months by the time I sat down. And I talked to two of the partners. One man was just very stubborn and was insisting on this certain percentage. I met with the other two guys and I said, uh, how long have you been at this? Well, about three and a half months. Now, how much money would it take to satisfy him? Oh, about $20,000 more than we think is fair. I said, okay, two and a half months, three and a half months, how much time have you put into this thing so far? Just estimate each week how many hours you're spending. And they made an estimate. I said, what's your billable rate? Oh, like this. I said, so what's the math there? Da, 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 da. They started realizing they had already put more time into this thing in billable hours, which they could have been spending with paying clients. But instead on this, and then one of the men, I think it had to be the prompting the war. He said, you know, there's another cost. Last night I went home, my two sons were fighting, and I intervened, I said, guys, it's not how you should treat each other. My one son said, Dad, who are you to talk? You're fighting with so-and-so, you've been in this conflict for three months. The cost of my witness, the cost of my example, my family, that's another price. So it can be time, it can be money, it can be energy, it can be our witness. There's so many ways we can spend all those resources. Well, we need to really say, Lord, is this the best place where you want me spending this time and energy. If it is, then walk it through in a godly way. If it's not, you need to realize it's better to drop it. A key principle is so true that a gentle and gracious attitude can prevent or even help resolve those conflicts. There you go. <clears throat> Chapter 5 and on Sunday. Brad? Oh, you borrowed it. Can we put it back?